Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1857-15996 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. Your email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter is at opinionline96, the hashtag OL96. And of course, with the Corks 96FM Facebook page, you can message us there. Just mark your messages for the attention of the opinion. And lots to do this morning. I've been speaking at length with Una Ring, the woman from that court case yesterday at Cork Circuit Criminal Court. I'll let you hear that shortly. Also, if you're watching or if you plan to watch It's a Sin uh, on Channel 4, uh, you'll be interested in a conversation we plan to have after 10 o'clock. It's a very, very adult uh, television show. It's a very, very disturbing television show. It's a very, very sad television show, but it's powerful and excellent television at the same time. We'll catch up with that one after 10 o'clock this morning. But first of all, I want to go to to North Cork, where Gardaí are appealing for witnesses after the body of a woman was discovered yesterday. Horrific story. Discovered in a burning car, and a man was subsequently pulled from a river nearby. Our senior news correspondent, Fiona Corcoran, is in North Cork for us this morning. Fiona, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. What can you tell us? Yes, PJ, this discovery was made just after four o'clock yesterday when passers-by noticed a car on fire and they contacted Gardaí and the fire brigade. And they came to the scene here at around half four yesterday afternoon. And one unit of the Mallow Fire Brigade attended at the scene and managed to extinguish the fire in the car, but at that stage it was already burnt out. And it was at that stage that they realised that there was a body inside the car. Um, now, it has, um, the, since then, they've discovered that the body was that of a female, and it's understood that she is in her 70s and was from the Drumahan area outside Mallow. Um, and a while later, um, a search was carried out of the river Aube nearby and a man was pulled from the river several kilometres away from the scene where the burning car was. Now he is uh, he was taken to Cork University Hospital he was suffering with hypothermia and I understand I've just been speaking to a guard the source there this morning and um, his condition while he was serious um, he's now understood to be on uh, in a stable condition and Gardaí will obviously want to speak to him at some st- at some stage over the coming days um, now it's understood that he's a man in his 60s and he's from just over the border in County Limerick mm. and it's also understood that these two people were known to be other but 
the relationship between them has not been established just yet. Right. Um, so Gardaí have sealed off the scene um, and preserved the scene last night. Now there was a second car also found nearby, near where the first car was found and both of those cars and the entire scene will be examined this morning by Assistant State Pathologist Dr Margaret Bolster is due to arrive here shortly and the Garda Technical Bureau will be arriving from Dublin to carry out a full examination of the scene. Now once um, Assistant State Pathologist Dr Margaret Bolster carries out her preliminary examination of the body here at the scene, mm. the body will then be taken to Cork University Hospital for a full post-mortem and Gardaí say they're awaiting the results of that examination to determine the course of their investigation. They're clearly but, uh, not saying a whole lot other than that at the moment. Not at this stage, no. Um, they will be waiting for the results of the post-mortem and to speak to the man that was pulled from the river. Now, they have issued an appeal for witnesses and they are hoping to speak to anyone who was in this area or the Donnerail area between the hours of 3 and 5 o'clock yesterday afternoon and who may have seen anything to come forward and contact for my guard the station or the guard the confidential line and they're particularly interested in speaking to anyone who was in the area who may have phone or dash cam footage to come forward this area pj it's a real rural area it's a wooded area known locally as drum deer woods and it is a very quiet area but it has become quite popular over the last year with walkers in this area who you know obviously can't travel outside their five kilometers and it's um you know so guardy are hoping that there may be people who were in the area yesterday who may have seen anything or may have seen this particular car that was on fire yesterday. It was a Dacia duster car. So if anybody did see a car matching that description in the area yesterday to come to contact Gardaí. Okay. Um, any idea when the pathologist will arrive? Obviously that'll, that'll progress the situation. Yeah. Dr. Walsh is on her way, I believe. She is, yeah, I think she's due here in the next hour. So um, that will, as you say, it will speed the matter up. And, you know, the, the body has been at the scene overnight. So um, they're anxious for um, Dr. Bolster to carry out her examination at the scene and, and carry out that post-mortem then at Cork University Hospital so that they can progress this investigation. And there was a case conference held last night and Gardaí are trying to piece together all of the information that they have. But obviously at this stage, it's very early in the investigation. Mm -hmm. and they have very little evidence to go on and um, you know they, um, I think they, they do know who this lady was in the car but obviously they're going to have to um, they, there's a possibility that they may have to use dental records to identify her formally so um, it's a case that's going to go on for the next couple of days I would imagine okay. um, What's and the it's reaction to it locally Fiona? Anyone yeah it's obviously a it shock for people here locally uh, we have been talking to some local councillors and they say that you know it's it's really really shocking for, especially for an area like this as I said it's really really quiet and um, this scene is about 8 kilometres away from the village of Donnerail and um, you know the people of this area and the people of Donnerail are shocked because it is a quiet area um, you know people would be known to each other around here it's not an area that you would often hear of in the news for something like this so it's come as a, a huge shock to people and um, a shock I think to people all over the country but particularly here locally. Yeah there's a local couple of the local councillors I think have spoken to the media they have. We've had uh, Councillor William O'Leary speaking to the to us here this morning, and Councillor Frank Roach has also been 
on radio this morning speaking about the shock that people are feeling here and um, I understand that Councillor Roach himself came on the scene, he was working here, he's an agricultural contractor and he was working um, in this area yesterday and uh, noticed all of the emergency vehicles and um, came up to see you know, if he could help out in some way he thought when he saw all of the um, emergency vehicles beside the river Aubeg that there may have been a search and rescue operation underway and when he came here he said that he was completely shocked by what unfolded over the the, the minutes that he was here and he discovered what had happened so um, yes people here are um, yeah. devastated and I suppose there we'll be are talking two to Councillor Roach I think later on this morning mm. um, we have a, a clip I think though of Councillor Willie O'Leary here we go thoughts and prayers for myself or with the with the victim's family at this very very difficult time i would appeal to people to let the guardi and emergency emergency services to get on with their job and not and not speculate as to what happened or what may have happened you know but uh certainly we are in a difficult period at the moment and to be fair Fiona, i guess that is probably the wisest thing to do not to speculate and not to give yeah. in to any speculation because eventually the guards will figure out what happened that's right, and I suppose with these cases, people are always going to speculate on what happened, and um, you know, it's it's just part of life, really, isn't it, PJ? But um, you know, at this stage, we don't know anything more than what we've been told by Gardaí, and we have to just wait for um, the results of that post mortem and find out where Gardaí are going with this investigation. But well, you know, as I said, you if anyone. If they give you any more by way of briefings this morning, I'm sure you can mm-hmm. come back to us. At the moment, they're looking yes. for witnesses. Give that information again. Yeah, so if anybody has any information, rather than uh, going to their neighbours and speculating, they are asked to contact um, Gardaí, and they can contact the Gardaí at Fermoy Garda Station or the Garda Confidential Line. And obviously anything that they tell the Gardaí will be stri- treated in the strictest of strictest of confidence and for my guard the station for anyone who wants to know the number for that is 025-82100 that number again is 025-82100 and they're looking for anyone who was in the Donnerail area between 3 and 5pm yesterday and particularly anyone with mobile phone footage or dash cam footage to come forward Alright Fiona leave it there for now thank you very much that's our senior news correspondent uh, Fiona Corcoran and that guard the confidential line if you want it is 1-800- 666 111. That's 1 800 666 111. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 Now, yesterday afternoon at Cork Circuit Criminal Court, a man called James Steele, he's 52, from Raveline in Ross Carberry in West Cork, was jailed for seven years with the final two years suspended. So that's a five-year sentence after he pleaded guilty to a number of charges, including harassment, attempted burglary with intent to rape, possession of articles and two charges of criminal damage, all against one person. Uh, Una Ring from Yall in East Cork and he this began in 2018-2019 and continued up into last summer and uh, he frightened the living life out of her over a period of a number of months and uh, she spoke out outside the court 
yesterday afternoon thanking Gardaí for their investigation and encouraging anybody who was a victim of this kind of behaviour to come forward and go uh, to Gardaí. She also appealed to uh, people to, to leave James Steele's family alone. I sat down last evening and spoke at some length with Una Ring in the wake of the case. Una, thank you very much for taking our call on the opinion line. You know, we all hear stories about women being stalked by, by ex-boyfriends and ex-husbands and people they once had a, had a date with. But this guy effectively was a total stranger, except fleeting encounters at work. When did you first meet him? Um, I first met him September, I think, was it 2018? I worked with him for um, 18 months. Um, and like we had a good working relationship. We, we got along very, very well. But like we weren't, um, we weren't friends. We were friendly towards each other in, in a work way. But we, we, we certainly weren't friends. We didn't have our lunch breaks together, or we didn't socialize outside of work. We didn't text each other outside of work. Any texts between us were all work related. Um, and during that eighteen months, he showed no signs of anything. You know, anything untoward. He, he, he was pleasant. He was, you know, he was a grand guy to work with, and. He showed no sinister side whatsoever. So, you know, it, it, it came completely out of the blue um, when things started to happen. How did it start? Um, it, it, it started when he moved. Um, when he moved jobs, he he lured me, I suppose, to his new place of work and made um, unwanted advances. And I, I, I think when I rejected them, he he wasn't too pleased. Like he. Like I had thought he was married. I, I wasn't interested anyway, but he told me that he was separated and, um, you know, that we'd make a good couple. And I said, look, I'm, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in, in a relationship at all with anybody at the time because I was just after being promoted to office manager. I'd, I was working long hours. I, you know, had the two, I know they're, they're not kids, but, you know, family at home. And I just, I just hadn't time for a, a relationship, to be honest. But I, I, just, I just wasn't interested in, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he, he seemed to take it okay at, at the time. And it wasn't an unpleasant conversation, was it? No. Well, it was like well, it was because he like he was trying to force me to kiss him, and I, I kept saying I don't want this, and he was like, "Well, you won't know unless you try." And I said, "No, James, I, I, I really don't want this." And he was, "Well, you won't know unless you try." And he he had his arms around me, so like I couldn't kind of move so I got my arms up and I pushed him away and I said look just stop you know cop on this this isn't going to happen you know um so I was I was pretty shaken up um pretty shaken shook up over it and uh like the next day the messages started like the, the very next day the very next morning early I got two messages off from like apologizing and all that and I I, I Sent, I did respond to that message and I said, look, I accept your apology, but, you know, any further contact is to be professional only. You know, I, you know, don't contact me unless it's about work or, you know, because there would have been a few projects of his. There would have had to have been a little bit of contact. So I said, look, unless it's to do at work, you know, don't contact me. And then there was text messages and WhatsApp messages and, uh, you know, it, they just kept coming and coming. So I completely ignored them and 
he offered me a job and all this kind of stuff and I yeah, like I, that was one that I replied to I said look I, I'm not interested I'm happy where I am and then he was kind of getting a bit irate there was messages like oh it, it takes nothing to reply and he was getting a bit irate that I wasn't re- replying to the messages I just thought he'd go away he'd get the, the hint you know How quickly did it become sinister? Did that escalate quickly? Yeah very quickly very quickly I'd say within 10 minutes of me entering the building um, you know it, it kind of not kicked off but he had made his advances and um, like the, the, the door the door was locked the door the main door we say was locked with the keys in his pocket and I was like how the hell am I going to get out of here so you know I just kind of started chatting about just kind of you know work stuff and just general stuff and um, I just said, look, I, I have to go because I, I have to, you know, get, get to work myself. So he left me out and that was kind of it, you know. But I, I was very shaken up over it. I, I really was. But uh, stupidly, I didn't tell anybody that it had happened. Um, and the messages kept coming and kept coming. And on the 1st of April, he said he was going to call to my house because I wasn't answering his messages. So I just said, no, I didn't. I didn't think he knew where I lived, to be honest. Um I said, don't call to my house, don't contact me again. And that was on the 1st of April. And he said, sorry, I won't contact you again. And I didn't hear any more from him. And But it was playing on my mind an awful lot in the meantime. And I went to my GP and I went to the guards and I, I reported. I just reported it. I knew nothing could happen because there was no evidence that anything had happened and to be my word against his. And they said, look, we can talk to him. Um, if you wish or you know it's after going quiet now like we don't want I suppose in a sense poke the bear you know like why leave he hasn't been in contact since the 1st of April this is now the 12th of June and I said no look I said I just wanted on record that it happened I don't want anything done about it Um, it looks like he's got the message Um, so just just in case he does it to anybody else or anything happens to me down the line that there's a record that this man did this on this date and that was kind of it until until July, um, and then the then then it escalated in July. You know, it started with the the car wheels being sprayed, and then the window of the house was sprayed, and then the letters were left, and then he approached the house when he was arrested. You said yesterday outside the court that that it wasn't yesterday, wasn't the win for you. It was the moment that the guards arrested him was the win yeah. for you. Talk to me about dealing with the guards. You went to them first of all. You said, like you quite correctly said, and it's an example to anybody what to do, look, can you please just make a note of it for mm-hmm. me? And mm-hmm. they did, and they, mm-hmm. and, they, and you're full of praise for the guards. Yeah. What led up to the arrest? Like You must have been terrified when you actually called them. Yeah, well, what happened was, like the, the, from, the very, from the very first incident when the, when the car wheels were sprayed, I rang them. And they came up and they took the pictures and they took a statement and I suppose at at the time, you know, they they said like, Who do you think it is? And I said, I I really don't know. No, he had entered my mind, but I was like, you know, what man in his fifties is gonna drive like an hour and a half to spray wheels like bubble it was a bubblegum pink, you know. It, like if it had been any other colour, I might have kind of said, Yeah, okay, it's him but it was just it was the pink that threw me. Yeah. You know, and then the then the following week the windows were graffitied with X's and O's and um I win was 
spray painted on the windowsill. Now that was in black. I and win. Again, I win. Yeah. So then the guards came up again and took the photographs, and they were kind of saying, "Yeah, we we kind of we we have we have an inkling that it might be this guy because, to be fair, there wasn't really anybody else that I had a negative interaction with, you know. So there was kind of nobody else on the radar, and then and of course they were conscious of the fact that you'd made an initial mention of him in the station and asked for them to note it, so they had a note of it. Oh, they had like they they when when they came up um, for the the graffiti on the window, they had said, "Look, we we've already because I had printed off, I had kind of a, a detailed statement of the background, and I had that printed off, and I had printed off all the messages as well. So they had all that, and they said, "Look, we've we've looked over this. Um, they still didn't know for a fact that it was him, obviously, but look, they said, look, we're you know just aware that this has happened.'" Um, but we still didn't know because, again, it was X's and O's on a window. It was kind of childish and the words I win were written on it. But the fact that there was nobody else's house being targeted and the fact that I had no negative interaction with anybody else kind of, you know, all fingers kind of pointed to him at that stage. Um, but it wasn't until the letter. The letter was left the following morning and that's when that's when things took off, I suppose. That must have frightened the living life out of you, did it? It did. It really, really did. And it was the fact that I know his intention was to throw me, but he had Hello Neighbour as the opening of the letter. And it, it did actually, it did throw me, you know, because I think, is there somebody around or is there some stranger after moving into the park that I don't know about and he's watching me? And oh, is, it, didn't, it didn't twig with you instantly when you opened the letter? Uh, you see, it, it like he was always there in the back of my mind, but the hello neighbour actually did really throw me. Yeah. Now I knew, I knew we'd say the neighbours of, we'd say we call them the old neighbours who were here a long time and I knew, I knew it wouldn't be any of them. I know it's very easy to say how, how did you know it wouldn't, but you know I, 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 I knew it wouldn't be them because yeah. they're, you know, they're, they're salt of the earth, they're very good, they're not in your pocket but they're there if you need them kind yeah. of people, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was wondering did anybody move into the park that I'm unaware of because, you know, houses change and yes, and I was saying, you know, mother of God, like, but I kind of knew in my heart and soul at that stage that, that, that it could only be him, you know. Do you want to remind us, or is it too painful to recall what the letter said? Um, well, it was just like, it was very, we say, sexually explicit and there was condoms in it. And, you know, it just, it, it, it just was, it was a very frightening letter. Yes. Um, and just the end of it was kind of like looking forward to our moment and, you know, leave the back door open and I'll creep up to you and all this kind of stuff. So it, was, it was just just a frightening, really frightening letter, you know. Um, and at that stage, the guards, the guards really kind of not took over, but they, like they had the crime prevention were up and like that, that very nice man, he, he checked out the house and you know, the back garden, the lock on the gate. And he was, at the, there was a friend of mine, her husband put in an extra security lock on the back door so that it couldn't be lifted from the outside, you know, the sliding patio door. Yeah, yeah. And the only thing he said to do is, look, you're going to have to seal your letterbox um, just in case of petrol. So that, I found that very, I found that very, very disturbing. That's terrifying. Um, it is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. That I found that now one of the hardest things to deal with, to be honest. Now you've grown up children. Uh, do 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 they live with you? Oh, they do. They yeah. do. They both live with me. Yeah. And obviously, yeah. they knew this was going on. Oh, they did. They did. My 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 son slept by day and stayed up by night. 
um, just just because he felt that was all he could do. You know, he was kind of powerless to do anything else. You know, um, so um, we sealed up the letterbox, and then the the next the other oh, the guards. Then at that stage, what they were doing was they were driving around the park at night. They would just do a drive by maybe two or three times a night. But then the second letter came, and the second letter then was the threat to to, to commit rape. Um, he was going to break in and rape me and my daughter. Um, so that's when they set up their operation. Then that they they were outside the house. They were down long, about two, I think, two houses down, and they were there from midnight until five a.m. every night. Um, How soon after the second letter did they arrest him? It was only about I think it was four nights. I think that yeah, the the letter that second letter was on the Thursday. Well, they say the the Wednesday night, Thursday morning, and you see we 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 saw him on CCTV leaving it because I had the CCTV in at that stage, um, so we knew then for for a hundred percent that it was him, um, but it was four, it was only four like not only four nights, but like it was four nights that they were sitting in the car from midnight until five a.m. Describe describe how you felt, how your grown up children felt for those four nights. Well. Obviously, the, my my daughter was absolutely petrified, you know, because she was mentioned in the letter that he was going to rape her as well. So she she was completely traumatized. Um, and like I felt, I, I I felt safer knowing that the guards were outside because those were the hours that he was around. Yeah. Um, I didn't think he'd come in the daylight, and you know, during the summer, like kind of from five o'clock on, it's starting to get bright, and people are kind of going to work. So. I I felt safe enough that they were there, um, knowing that they were there and that they were going to stay there. You know, they they said no matter what happens downtown, this car is not going to budge. You know, so um, that I that was great security for me. Yeah, they were they were fantastic for you. In fairness, weren't they? They they just they 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 really couldn't have done any more than what they did. Like they went above and beyond. Really, like and each one of them, like was as nice as the next. They were very human about it. They were very empathetic, but they were also very professional, very savvy, um, you know, and highly trained, highly skilled. You know, like they 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 knew what they were doing. They really did. And um, like I, I've said this too numerous to mention, but Jim Heffernan was the guard that, that tackled him outside my house and Sergeant Sharkey, Sergeant John Sharkey, was with me all the way up through, you know, all all the other things. So they they were just they were they're they're just very 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 good people, you Talk know. They really really are. As you talk to me now, Una, you're strong and you're together. There must have been moments though where where you thought you you wouldn't get through this. Oh, there was. Um, in June, um, before I went to the guards in June, I just, I, I started not to cope. And actually, that's why I, I went to my GP and started getting counselling. And then kind of I was both on adrenaline after he was arrested for a while, you know, because you're, you're you know, you're you're a bit high because he's after being caught. And then the, the, the low came in September and by God, I, I, I was low. You know, I really was. I actually, I, I, I couldn't work from September until January. I just couldn't. I, there was days I couldn't get out of bed. It was absolutely horrendous. That's PTSD like that is, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, even because he was arrested on, on a night where it was pelting with rain, like any night after that, that it was raining, I actually just couldn't settle. I just couldn't settle down. 
Um, and then there was, you know, the, the still shot of him. Like when I closed my eyes, that, that's, that's what I could see, you know. The CCTV shot that we saw on the telly. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's, it's very disturbing. And, and even though I knew he was caught and I knew he was in prison and I knew he couldn't get near me, like it's still very frightening. You know, the nightmares of him escaping and coming after me and, you know, all, all these things that just, like, you can kind of control your thoughts when you're awake, but when you're asleep, you, you haven't a chance. And the nightmares were horrific. Like, they really, really were. The, you know, it's, and, and you, you just wake up and think, like, where am I? What, what's happening? And it was very, very difficult. And I, I went back to the, G, the GP and she put me on, um, to other lots of medication and they they worked pretty quickly and I feel very, very much better since then and I just would say to anybody like there's no shame in feeling low, you know, it, it's mental, mental illness is the same as physical illness and if you're not feeling well mentally just, just go, just go to your GP and if something is happening just go to the guards, like they're not going to say look stop wasting our time you know, they're going to advise you if they can't do anything straight away. They'll advise you on what to do or, you know, get a notebook and jot things down if you need to have a record of stuff that's happening. You know, just to give them a background, give them a starting point, you know. How do you feel about the sentence that the judge handed down yesterday? Was it enough, do you think? Um, I did, like, I, I suppose I went into the court for the sentencing hearing with like no expectations so that I wouldn't be disappointing, be disappointed. But I kind of had a figure of eight years in my head and funnily enough, um, Owen, Owen Healy, he was the guard there today. He had a figure of eight years and I mean, he got he got seven. Well, it was nine first and there was the two years taken off because he pled guilty and then it was seven with two years suspended. Um, so we were close, we were close enough to it, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, um, like he also has, I suppose what people don't know is that he has five years probation after he's released and he has um, a, a lifelong no contact ban as well. So he, he's, he's never allowed contact me again or he'll have to go in and, and do, do those two years. Has he ever apologised or tried to? He apologised. Um, we went to Clonmel the night or the day after his arrest um to get um, bail denied and he did apologise like from the stand he turned and he looked down and he apologised he said look I, I'm very sorry for what I put on and our family through and I'm mortified and this isn't who I am and all this kind of stuff but too little too late you know and that was that was the only time that he actually apologised to me like they, they said in, in the court that oh he, he's he, you know he didn't speak but they said that he's sorry for what he did but you know, if you do if you do something once, you can apologise for it. But like this man came to my house what, five five times in the space of three weeks. You know, so it, it wasn't a one off. It was methodical and it was well planned out. And you know, he 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 didn't have to do it. You know. You said that there is no possible way you can ever forgive what he did. No, no. No, I'll get over it. I'll get over it, but I, I won't forgive him because, like, there, there, there was it was just so unnecessary and so 
uncalled for and you know like nobody deserves it nobody at all deserves that 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 type of treatment so you know I I won't forgive him for it and like even not even it's more from my family and my extended family and my friends and what he put them through as well because everybody was on tender hooks waiting for some waiting for the next thing to happen like the neighborhood you know people next door like they weren't sleeping because they knew somebody was creeping around and you know it was very traumatic on on a lot of people not just me like work I had to give up work for a while so you know they they had to kind of take on my load and you know now the work were very very good to me they really were they were very very supportive um but like I I had to I had to stop going to work and now now I'm only back working part-time because I just I'm not able for full-time at the moment and I, I, I don't know when I will be you know you're you're still in counselling, I think, and and working your way through all this. Yeah, I have a very very good um, psychotherapist, and she's she has been so supportive, and and she she has made me stronger because she can rationalise things that I don't rationalise, you know. Because I was saying about you know checking the door, like obsessively checking the doors, and you know she was saying, well, don't worry about it; it's, it's keeping you safe. Because if the door is unlocked, you can lock it, you know. And I was saying, oh, I'm checking the car to make sure there's nobody in the car. But she said, if you check the car and there's somebody in the car, like that's keeping you safe. So, you know, she said things like that that you kind of feel, oh God, I, I'm, I'm an idiot for thinking this way. She said that anxiety is is keeping you safe. So like, don't knock it, and your anxiety all along kept you safe because otherwise you wouldn't have went to the guards. You know, and you wouldn't have got in the CCTV and he wouldn't have been caught on camera. And, you know, like, so she she has been very good. That's a very steadying and a very grounding approach to it. I suppose there's a whole other way of thinking of it. What struck yeah. me particularly, Una, yesterday um, was your your kindness towards his family. Well, I've, you know, I've I've children of my own and... You know his 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 children, his wife. They they they've done no wrong. You know, and they will have to live with the stigma of this because it will it will follow them. And like they deserve kindness, they deserve support because like they have done nothing wrong. Their father went out to work one day and never came back. And then the guards were down with a search warrant and took the stuff out of the house. And you know they didn't even know they didn't even know what was going on. And now to have it all come out and. You know, they're they're teenagers. Teenagers are hard anyway, but with social media and everything, people can be cruel. And, you know, they they, they don't deserve anything but support because they they have done nothing wrong. You know, they really haven't. You're you're clearly asking people, Una, uh, to leave his family alone. He's the one that did wrong, not them. Exactly, exactly. And support them and be kind to them because they will... like. They must be traumatized over this. Like how, however upsetting it is for me, like I I get over this a lot quicker than they will. You know, like they'll always be associated with them and what he did, and I just feel so so sorry for them because they don't deserve. They didn't deserve any of this as much as I didn't deserve any of this. You're an extraordinary human being to be able to find that decency. If you don't mind me saying so. No, thank you. But you know, it, it is it is genuinely how I feel. I I just I, my heart breaks for them. It really, really does. It, it's just he didn't think of the bigger picture. He was just so fixated. Like he obviously didn't think of his family. Like and to to put on on paper to rape my daughter when 
he's a father himself and he's a teenage daughter. Like, who, you know, who does that? You know, so he, he showed no consideration for his family's feelings as, as well as me and my family's feelings, you know, so... Mm. Just two more brief questions for you, Una. How do you now move on from this? Well, it will it will take time. Even even now, like I'm I'm still kind of saying you're safe, you're safe, you're safe. I kind of have to persuade myself that I'm safe if I'm if I'm out and about. So that but that will fade with time. Like I'm I was obsessively checking the doors locked. Now it's down to a couple of times a day, like as opposed to <laughs> every hour. Even though he's now behind bars, can do you no harm anymore. You're still left with this legacy of checking doors. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is because, I suppose, because of his age and the colour of his hair, like there's a lot of people that from the back look like him. And you do kind of get a... <gasps> You know, if you see somebody of his stature with with grey hair, you're, you're you you do just take, you know get an intake of breath because it looks so like him, and you know that's that's hard to, you know I'm sure that will fade with time also. But at the moment, it's the, like last week I was in Tesco's and there was a man from behind looked very similar to him, and I just got a start. You know, even though I knew I knew it wasn't him, I knew it couldn't possibly be him, but you do just get that shock. The mind plays tricks. The mind plays tricks. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I, you know, I will, I will, I will get through it. I will get over it. I'm, I'm quite confident of that. You know. Yeah. Finally, Una, for anybody else who is going through anything like this, they might be listening to us right now, and and someone is bothering them. Someone is scaring yeah. them, but they're afraid to go to the guards because they don't think anybody will believe them. Oh, go, 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 definitely go. Go to the guards and talk to them. I mean, as I said earlier, they'll advise you at the very, very least. And if they think it's it's escalation to the point, like, please God, not as serious as what I went through, like, they will, they will call, they will help, but um, and if it's that's from somebody would say from the outside, if it's somebody inside your home, I would just get a cheap notebook, find a safe place, jot things down, hide it and bring that down with you and have a list, even even a couple, even over two or three days, this happened, this happened, this happened and just give them a starting point and... Keep messages, I guess. That is vital if somebody is harassing you online or on your phone like keep the messages, print them off if you can, but keep them and screenshot them. And you know, if you want to delete them, screenshot them, put them in a folder if you don't want somebody to see them. And just go. To, I, I go to the guards because I actually there was nothing more humanly possible that the guards could have done than what they did for me. And they couldn't have treated me any better than what they treated me. I just couldn't have had a better experience with them. And like it's because of that that. I'm coming forward and saying, look, go to them. And if you go to a guard and he's having a bad day and he's kind of brushing you off, ask to speak to somebody else or go to a different guard station. But somebody will listen and and do definitely. And if you're feeling unwell, go to your GP and get help that way. You know, because there is still, I don't care what anyone says, there is still a stigma attached to mental health and people are reluctant to go because they feel they're weak or they should be able to cope better or 
and especially you now during COVID, or maybe it's COVID is making me feel like this. If there's something else going on, and even if it is COVID is making me feel like that, go and get 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 help, you know. And there is there is an awful lot of help out there. There's help out there that I didn't know was there, like the crime prevention, the the victims after crime service. They were all in contact, and one of them was as good as the next. There's there, there's a lot of help out there now, and. There is zero tolerance for these types of crimes, no thank God, and they are taken seriously. So definitely talk, talk to a friend, talk to a family, but definitely go to the guards. Definitely go to the guards. Una, thank you so much for spending time with us today on the Opinion Line. You're very welcome. I hope I, I help even one person. You know, that's that's why I'm doing it. Take care of yourself and your family. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. Cheers. This is only the 5th of February of uh, 2021 and and I don't know what the year holds for us. I don't know what will unfold news-wise or anything during the course of this year. Whether it be coronavirus or what it be or stories like that. But I, I think I will struggle between now and the end of 2021 to find a stronger, more courageous woman or man. Uh, to 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 speak with on the air. I, I'm just interviews. She takes my breath away. Her strength and her togetherness, and her kindness towards his family is just stunning, stunning. A privilege to have her on the program. Una Ring. On Una, Kate says, "Let us hope, and this is true. Let us hope there's no day release that would traumatize her again, like poor Nicholas Sweeney, Nicholas' friend. That's right, Sinead. Yeah, do you remember that?" Um, uh, Andrew says, morning PJ, it's harrowing, disbelief and courageous, the words to describe that interview with Una. A great interview on both your behalf. Well done to Una for being so brave and uh, taking the line she did and to your delicate but brilliant line of questioning. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you indeed. Mags, that poor woman cannot begin to imagine the fear she experienced. Hats off to Angartha Shikana for superb police work. Absolutely. And Kevin said that must have been a living hell. Amazingly brave woman to be able to talk so powerfully about her experience. After 10, something completely different. Are you watching this? You don't get better from AIDS, do you? I don't think anyone knows. Hey, it's all we ever hear. Don't you ever think you should stop? Stop what? Sex. HIV. Could get anyone. What's going to stop it spreading? This disease is terrifying. So, trailer from It's a Sin on Channel 4. We're discussing it after the news. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1850-715-996 is the call, the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083. 396 9696 email opinion at 96fm.ie If you've missed anything from our first hour, remember our podcast is ready in early to mid-afternoon. Also, as regards Una Ring, we will be putting that up as a podcast extra, working on it as we speak. Let you know when it's up there. But the main podcast of the full show up in mid-afternoon, if you missed anything in our first hour, you can catch up with it there. We've been contacted by a man who feels very let down about the developments this week with AstraZeneca and the vaccine and the decision to give it 
only to those under 70. I'll be talking to him a little bit later. But before the news, I played you the trailer from a show that I hadn't seen anything of until last evening. And when we confirmed we were going to be doing it today, I said, I'll watch an episode to um, just get, get a grip on it, get a feel for it. And I sat down watching four out of the five episodes of it last night. I cannot wait to see the fifth one today. It's a stunning, powerful, powerful piece of television. Uh, Particularly, I think, those of us who remember the 80s. And those of us who might have had gay friends in the 80s. As I had, I had one of my best friends in school was a gay guy, a couple of years older than me, and sadly no longer with us. Um... Very, very powerful television. Very powerful television. This is the trailer that goes with it. You don't get better from AIDS, do you? I don't think anyone knows. Hey, it's all we ever hear. Don't you ever think you should stop? Stop what? Sex. Have you been tested for HIV? Could get anyone. What's going to stop it spreading? This disease is terrifying. People forget that it was 40 years ago, in or around the end of 1980 into 81, where AIDS started to be talked about on this side of the Atlantic. Uh, The first man to die of AIDS in the UK died alone, isolated in a hospital unit in the early 80s. Alone, isolated. You weren't allowed in to see him. No one was allowed to see him, to talk to him, to be with him. Nobody, anyone who went into him was masked and gowned. Such was the terror and such was the fear of this thing. 33 million people have died of AIDS around the world. 33 million people. Initially, it was seen as the gay plague. It was, and it it, it led to stigma and it led to terrible mistreatment of, of gay people. Um, nowadays, HIV is something you live with and you take a tablet for and you can live a perfectly normal, healthy life with HIV. As my next guest does, uh, Will Kennedy, who's a member of Act Up Cork, Positive Cork. And as I say, Will, we've spoken before. You live with HIV. Good morning to you. Good morning, uh, PJ. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And and I know that you're a, a little nervous and I know that you're finding, you're finding it's a sin tough going. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a while. Mm-hmm. But your life with HIV it's just what it's a couple of tablets in the morning and you get on with things oh yeah I mean it's far different it, it's good that they're highlighting what it was like back then but now um, what I would like to see after this show is maybe some kind of documentaries on what it's like now because it's living with HIV not dying yeah. like it was back then and uh, you met me when I was in the studio I'm 53 but I'm very fit I work out everything like you know Um yeah, there are side effects, but I mean, seriously, it's nothing. I mean, put it this way, with the vaccines coming out now for COVID, uh, I can't say that HIV is an underlying condition anymore. <laughs> you know, uh, can't use it now uh, because it's not seen as an underlying dangerous condition unless your CD4 count is gone under 200. Uh, that means you've, but if you're on medication, you won't be. It's just seen as a treatable illness now, like, you know. Yeah. Which, which, which is magnificent. But back then, and this show captures it so starkly, like it was, to all intents and purposes, a death sentence. Oh, totally. Um, I watched an interview with the cast, actually, on BBC One this morning, in, coincidentally, and uh, 
the boyfriend of Terence Higgins, the ter- who they founded the Terence Higgins Trust Fund, Rupert, was being interviewed, and he said he can't watch it. Uh, it brings up too much. I'm only watching it one episode at a time. I record it on Friday night, and it could be Monday or Tuesday when I watch it. So I've only watched two episodes because it really does um, uh, just bring up such dark, bad times, like, you know? Yeah. Um, I it's mean, the story of four friends, Richie, Roscoe, Colin, and Jill. Uh, and they move in together into a, and there's a lot of wild parties and student yeah. <laughs> life and young people's life, which is wonderful. But in the in the middle of it, is this horrible spectre that haunts all their lives and and destroys lives and destroys families. It's as I said at the time, I, I when I was in school in the early, in the early eighties, and and one of my best friends in school was a gay man. And I saw, I saw the bullying that he went through and the terrible way he was treated. And when people began to think about AIDS, they threw it at him in the schoolyard. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was it was horrible because people kind of forget, like, what Ireland was like back then. Um, homosexuality was a criminal. You know, it was criminalised. It wasn't legal here in 1993. So on top of then, that came AIDS, like, and it was called GRID at first. You may have mentioned that yourself. They're gay-related immune deficiency. That's right. And uh, I like that in the show, like where, where there's a part where they say like it's it's gay, it's homosexuals, haemophiliacs and Haitians. How could this disease be just attacking the letter H? That's right. <laughs> Who next? Hull and Hartlepool. It's <laughs> very funny, actually. <laughs> it, that was a funny line because I was like, how could this disease just be targeting a certain sector? But at the beginning, I think because it was seen as homosexuals, Every country, including our own, uh, really were very slow to respond to it. I mean, absolutely. Ireland was totally unprepared. Do you know that at the time, uh, as regards STI treatment and, you know, hotels, give a clinic now and stuff in Victoria Hospital, there was only the four main hospitals in Dublin and St. Finbar's. They had a special clinic that was kind of attached to the outpatients. We didn't have an STI clinic anywhere in Ireland. Yeah. Um, it was appalling, like, and then you had, as I said, it was illegal uh, to be gay. Uh, condom sales were restricted until 1992-3, when they lifted the age. So nothing in Ireland was ready for this when it happened. Absolutely nothing, like, you know, and the government totally slow to respond. I, I really think only for the LBGT activists at the time. Nobody would have given a shit about us, like, you know. Yeah. What was it like growing up gay in the 80s, Will? Oh, my God. Uh, I'm actually writing a book, My Secret Life. Uh, I nearly finished it. I was speaking to you last year about it, and uh, it was appalling. Um, I carried that secret with me everywhere I went. Um, I took to drink and alcohol to cope with my um, thing. Fortunately, I'm sober now, 26 years. Uh, It was horrible, because everywhere you went, you knew, especially as you got older, no girlfriend, no nothing. You were the odd one out. You stood out. There was questions began. And I mean, I was questioned from a very young young age. I think it was obvious that I was gay, like, you know, um, which made it even tougher. Uh, I mean, I ended up doing stupid things. I was in the priesthood for four years to try to get cured. I was in the army for 21 years. A gay man. I, I didn't belong in any of those places. I was desperately trying to fit in. Um, <laughs> whatever society thought a, a masculine man should be like. Um, because the abuse you got was just unbelievable. And then when AIDS came along, we bore the brunt of it. Mm. And I will say, in the gay community, because it was the good gays and the bad gays, Mm -hmm. 
the innocent victims and the guilty victims. They, this illness was moralised, particularly, you know, in Ireland with the Catholic Church and its history. It was like, uh, the Irish government at the time, believe it or not, sorry, this just came to my mind, were actually fighting the law in the European court to try and legalise uh, homosexuality. They were fighting against it. And they were considering using AIDS as an excuse to keep homosexuality as a criminal offence. So everything, everything about that time was just, to me, it was the blackest, bleakest time of my life. Um, I knew friends and everything, like, as, as we got... Hold on. That line there, well, you're dropping out a little bit. Move a small bit, maybe. You, you talked about your friends, yeah? Yeah, I, I had friends like that, um, you know, have no died of AIDS. But I remember the first case, reported in 1980. And it took five years before the Irish government started doing anything in 1987. And by then we had 24 deaths mm-hmm. and 590 positive cases. But it was the treatment um, was appalling. If you... Uh, this was going on in 2007, even when I was diagnosed. Uh, if you were going to dentists or anything like that, you got the last appointment in the evening at six o'clock. Everything was covered in plastic. The dentist was double gloved and double masked and geared up. And I got it at the beginning because nobody knew really where this was coming from. You know, mm. uh, I could see the terror. You see that in the show yeah. uh, when Jill goes to help her friend, uh, Gloria. And she's wearing the gloves and she's terrified and she scrubs herself and gets rid of the cup. I got that at the beginning, yeah. But as time moved on, 1987, the Irish were still treating it the same because there was no reporting of it here. We heard things about this over in America uh, was happening. Like, and I'd say we ignored it, to be honest with you. Uh, we thought that, I think they thought that's America. That'll never happen here. It's not happening here. Like we're we're not like them. We don't have the uh, the bathhouses and everything as they were called in America. Well, well I can remember um, Will being. T- oh, we don't have gay people here. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> and there's a, a, my buddy in school. Like. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Uh, we were a total uh, non-entity. And you see, I, I think on top of trying to fight the uh, AIDS and get proper treatment, a lot of people wouldn't weren't even out at the time. So when you went to a doctor and you were, you know, maybe diagnosed with bloody HIV, I mean, this was a double blow for people because now maybe your whole sexual history was, you know, the doctor went through it and everything. It was the first time somebody, people were being forced to come out, like, you know? Yeah. But then it was the, I liked the portrayal in the, in the show about the, the family when Gloria dies. I knew people that happened to. Every thing of the person who died of HIV, all their possessions being burnt, the room scrubbed from top to bottom, the, the isolation in a hospital, like, that actually happened. And only for the LBGT community uh, started things going. Um, like, it was all voluntary work. Like, I mean, there were good organisations here in Cork. You had Cork AIDS Alliance, which is now the Sexual Health Centre. Yes. You had Dublin AIDS Alliance in Dublin, which is now HIV Ireland. You had AIDS West in Galway. But all these were driven by LBGT volunteers, we were actually doing the work of the government. <laughs> Do you know what struck me at the time too, Will, was even when we knew, and I, 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 get, I get it that very early in the time you thought that people thought you could get it just by standing next to the person mm-hmm. or by using the same cup or plate, which is so brilliantly put, through, you know, yeah. displayed in the show. But strangely enough, do you remember 
Colin, the gay guy in EastEnders. Yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. That, that particular dramatization in the soap, but they tried to keep his own pint glass for him in, 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 the, in the Queen Vic, and it yeah. was through that, I think, that a lot of us then learned, no, actually, this is not contagious at all. There's no problem here for the rest of us. But it didn't seem to sink into the thick heads of most <laughs> people in society. Well, I hate to say, uh, last year there was a survey done here in Ireland and 11% of, in this survey, 11% of 18 to 24-year-olds still thought you could get it from toilet seats. 24% thought you could get it from kissing and 27% I think thought you could get it from coughing or sneezing, the person coughing or sneezing on you. This is Ireland 2020. That's scary, Will, I'm sorry. That scares the life out of me. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I actually have that, like I have it here in front of me, like the report um, mm. from last year, the survey done by HIV Ireland, and it shocked me that, like, well, I mean, there are gay, young gay people on that interview I saw this morning about the show ringing in. Young gay men and women ringing in and saying, we didn't know this was what it was like in the 80s. It's kind of never been spoken about. Yeah. openly like like that's what I love the show is doing it's now bringing up a, par- a part of our history as a, a gay man that like it's never actually been looked at and the effects it's had on people like you know their lives I mean people died completely on their own people were rejected by family partners if you had a partner at the time you a family might step in and you were totally you know shunned you had nothing to do you couldn't bury your partner nothing because being gay was illegal there was so much like that you were like lepers uh, absolute lepers um is the only way i would describe it like i mean we used to make a joke like at one time uh, we should go around wearing bells when i was diagnosed in 2007 because i used my humor a lot to deal with my own situation and when i was diagnosed in 2007 i swore to myself because i was an activist then since 1994 I was not going to kind of go into a HIV closet like I grew up in a gay closet. Yeah. That that experience of growing up gay in Ireland really shaped me when I was diagnosed with HIV. Um, because I was completely shocked, if I'd be honest, all through my drinking and drugging, <laughs> nothing happened. And then as a sober man for years, I got HIV. And it was like, the judgment then on me, oh my God, it was unbelievable, even in 2007. Really? Uh, all the things that were said to me, uh, finger pointing, it was my own fault. There was still this moralistic view that, like, I was a certain type of gay man, slush, basically, like, um, had behaved in a certain way. And it kind of shocked me, like, that that was still going on. But it, it's slowly getting better, slowly. And Good. I think it's the work of, like, yourselves now doing this, the radio show, that show out. Because I think if we can highlight how bad it was, I mean, it's one thing for me, you know, to be saying, how lonely, how isolated, how bleak of a life growing up. But to portray it and people to see it, that people were actually treated like utter lepers. I mean, the medical profession. There's a doctor in the show, like uh, Jill goes to him and she's asking about AIDS information and he's like, why would you be asking me that? Why? Right. I'd have nothing to do with that. Like, the general population, it's them. It's, the, it's those drug users, injecting drug users and the homosexuals. We've nothing to do with them. And that's, what it was like. They wanted nothing to do with us when this broke. Um, it was like, in a way, like, kill them off. I mean, they were talking America of putting people with HIV on, um, you know, islands, isolating them, locking them away, like, on uh, like concentration camps. Um, yeah. It was... 
I can I, hear I, I can hear it in your voice, and I know now why you're only watching it one one episode at a time because it must be very hard for you. Well, in the first episode, the young guy, the singer, I forget the name of his character in this, is Jill's friend. Um, yeah. He's asked Richie. going for a job interview. Yeah, Richie going for a job interview. Like the actor, what did he want to do? And he says one thing at the end of that interview: "I just want to be happy." He said, <laughs> and I thought he's going to die. And I just said to myself, I can't watch the show. It's just too fucking hard. Sorry. You're sorry. okay. You're okay under the, the circumstances. About people who died uh, that I knew and everything and the way they were treated. Nobody who hasn't experienced being shunned, basically being shunned, can understand it. Um, we can try, like, you can try to empathize with somebody, but when you're told you're rotten, you're diseased, get away from me. Um, it's your own fault. And yet a virus is a virus, as we're seeing now, you know. <laughs> a virus doesn't discriminate. It just, you know, infects. And I think the amazing thing about this virus, the amount of money and research and things pushed into um, looking for a vaccine straight away uh, because it's in the general population, you know, we're all affected. Mm. is totally different to what happened when, I mean, nobody was researching, nobody was doing anything. Are they still looking for a HIV vaccine or have they stopped trying briefly? Uh, I hear a lot of rumours, but the thing is, the treatment's getting so much better. We now know that there's trials of the monthly injection at the moment. So it means you get an injection, you don't take the tablet every day. That hopefully will become a yearly injection. And they're talking about... uh, like the contraceptive thing that women get uh, in your arm, an implant. Wow. And that will be 12 months. So if there's never a cure, the greatest thing about it now anyway, even if there isn't a cure, is the way we can eradicate HIV. If people take note of the news, you equals you, I can no longer infect anybody once I'm on medication and I think. So if everybody actually got tested, everybody knew their status, everybody was on medication, that's HIV positive, we could no longer pass it on. It could no longer happen. But you fight that battle, I'm afraid, in Ireland still, like with yeah. the moralistic attitude. Well, briefly, before I let you go, first of all, thank you. Secondly, I, as soon as that book is done, I want to read it and I want to talk to you again about it. But on a lighter note, isn't the soundtrack just the best ever? Oh, my God. <laughs> the soundtrack is brilliant. It takes me right back to the 80s. I keep waiting for the common arts and stuff to come into like it. They're there. They're there, I promise you. Uh, Everything is there. Everything is there. I loved. They, they, were my, uh, they were my idols. They kept me going. <laughs> All right. Listen, listen. good talking to you, Will. Thanks very, very much. That is, uh, that is Will Kennedy. Uh, Act Up Cork. He's a member of Positive Cork. Lives with HIV. You don't say dying of HIV or suffering from HIV. You live with HIV and you live a perfectly normal life with a little bit of medication with HIV. Watch it. It's on Channel 4. The nightly ep- the weekly episodes are tonight at 9. It's on all four. Catch up on the full series. But, yeah, even, even for me, a straight guy uh, who grew up in the 80s, I had gay friends, um, and working in entertainment and working in music and working in, in broadcasting, I came across gay people an awful lot because it was a place that, Many of them came to. Many gay people have worked in broadcasting over the years. I've known many of them personally. Um, 
And it's just, it's a hard watch, but it's powerful, powerful television. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is Corks. Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 On Quartz 96 FM. And by the way, in case you're wondering uh, and wondering if you should watch It's a Sin and wondering will it be depressing and sad, it will be all of those things. Very sad. But as I said, the music is fantastic. And there are parts of it that, in a very strange way, are very, very funny. So you will enjoy it. 1850-715-996. Our podcast extra of Una Ring is available now on all platforms. Uh, before you listen to that, though, let's go to Michael. We were talking yesterday about the vaccines and the developments this week with regard to the coronavirus vaccines. So we have three of them now licensed for Ireland. Uh, there will be more, so let's not worry about that. But we have Pfizer, we have Moderna, and we have AstraZeneca. Now, the AstraZeneca is seen to be the game changer. But it was decided during the week that the AstraZeneca will only be given out to people under the age of 70. Because and only because there's no research there just yet to show how how it behaves, as it were, in a person who is over 70. There is no evidence to suggest it will do anybody over 70 any harm. They just don't know how it will respond with their immune system because the research hasn't been done yet. I'm assuming it's being done as we speak, but right now it hasn't been done, which is why the, the, the authorities here have said they will only give the AstraZeneca to the under 70s. We went through that yesterday with, with Dr. John Sheehan. But Michael, you're very, very disappointed by that. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Yes, I am disappointed because uh, elderly people seem to be left behind. Like in the other 27 countries in the EU, they all voted to to give AstraZeneca to, to the populations. Yeah. 
And no, Ireland seemed to be the odd one out. There's a few countries now that have said they'll hold off until they see the research. Yes, but uh, as you said, they're they're researching all the time. But at the the, the, the point is, anyway, seventy seven percent of the people that have died have been elderly people. Correct. And the thing is that the government now are saying, right, the elderly will have to wait. You know. And Do you mind me asking what age you are, Michael? I'm seventy. Just seventy. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Like, the thing is, we were told. We were told all last year the vaccine was coming and, you know, this was the silver bullet. It was going to solve everything. And now it's here and they're cutting out the over 70s. Well, no, you'll get one of the other two and there will be others. There are more vaccines waiting to come, like the Johnson and Johnson right, but, one. But right, you, you will but get a vaccine. So but they're so slow. Like, my sister now, she lives in England, yes. and she's getting her jab tomorrow. Yes. And she's only 65. Yes. So, like, that's oh, they're where flying they are. over there. They're absolutely flying. That's where they flying. are in England now, yeah. down to 65. And we're here, and there's people 85 and 90, and they didn't get the vaccine yet. Yeah. You know? This is... It's it's ridiculous, like... You know, I... I um. I, I, I actually blame that uh, Donnelly, that character. He, he's just, Stephen every time Donnelly. I see yeah. him, he just, he has a different story, you know? Yeah. But like, it's, we just, like, we had months and months to prepare for this, and they had, and they couldn't. Like, over in England, they're giving it out in churches, uh, opening up churches and people queuing up and getting it and well, whatever. Well, 10 or 11 million people vaccinated already, yeah. That's yeah. right, Chess. And we are here. We, we, we can't open up nothing. Yeah. We're talking about still going into doctor's surgeries yeah. where only two or three people would be able to fit. Uh, whereas yeah. we could have opened up churches. We have plenty of churches. We have plenty of um, Parky Keeve down there. All those places to open up and we're doing nothing. Yeah, well, well, well we, we have been told that the City Hall and I think maybe even Parky Cueve will be vaccination centres when we get to that stage. But it's a question of when. We've 200, now this is of, as of Wednesday, 219,000 vaccines given out, uh, including, I think, 50, 152,000 of those. So 152,000 people have had their first dose in this country as compared to, in Britain, 10 million. That's true. You're saying it's... Like, when you see it then, that's uh, where my sister will get it tomorrow. And I'm delighted for her, but, uh, you know, I'm we're, we're way behind here, even though I know... Leo Vracker comes down and says we're fourth in the world, but I don't believe we're fourth in the world because if she can get it and she's 65 and yeah. I'm here and I'm 70 and I can't get it and I'm the no, I have no notion of getting it because there's no talk about it. I think the, the last figure... They're, right. having a meeting today, they're having a meeting out today to know what they're going to do about the... AstraZeneca because they're not giving it to the over 70s. Yeah, the the, the last estimate I heard, and now this was last evening I was reading a piece, Michael, it could all have changed overnight, was that someone in New York, and how is your, if you don't mind my asking, how is your general health? Well, 
Oh, not too bad. I'm on, but I'm on, I'm on sixteen tablets a day. Yeah? Right. Believe it or not. Yeah. Right. Right. But you, various o- different things. Overall, you 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 plod along. No, I do. Yeah. I'd say the end, the the end of March. I think middle of April is when you can expect to be called. From what I'm reading yeah. now. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Well, like um, February was supposed was supposed to be Correct. the date. Correct. Well, here's here's like, hoping, Michael, that like, when the other ones come on stream and they'll come in faster, that you'll be dealt with more more quickly. But I can see where your frustration is is coming from. That you thought you were going to get it fast, and now it's going to be held up because they've made the decision based on a lack of research. They've made the decision to hold off on AstraZeneca. Michael, thank you, and I wish you good health uh, until such time as you do get your jab. And best of luck as well to your, your sister in the UK. Thank you very much, Michael. 1850 Morris says he's in that category, but he listens to expert advice. There's experts saying it's better on the whole to wait for the stronger vaccine. I've been waiting 12 months. What's another few weeks or months to get it right? Uh, someone else is saying that, uh, is this to do with, is this to do with HIV or to do with, with, um, with coronavirus, Gilead are working on a cure and they're confident that they'll get there. Uh, that's to do with HIV. Okay, thanks, guys. Yes, I've read that research. I've read that research. Thanks, guys. 1857 Let us go back to the story we led our program with this morning. Uh, that developing case up in Donnerale of a woman uh, found dead in a car, burnt out car yesterday, and a man subsequently rescued from the river Aubeg. And Gardy, working on that, the assistant state pathologist, Dr. Bolster, was on her way to the scene when we were talking to Fiona uh, just after nine o'clock. Um, Councillor Frank Roach was mentioned in that report. Frank, good morning. Good morning. You, you came upon the scene yesterday. Yes, I'm an agricultural contractor who work in the area and I was driving my tractor and I came down to a cross known that I know locally at Herbert's Cross and I see an unmarked um, guy the car. So I, naturally enough, I presume to the COVID checkpoint or something. But as I got to the N73, when I looked to my right towards Mallow, I see seven or eight guard the cars and a fire engine. Now I proceeded to cross that road and I went in up to Shambler Moor. But when I looked back, I could see members of the emergency service uh, on the bridge, the river, uh, our big bridge, and they're looking into it. So at that stage, naturally enough, I assumed that they were looking for somebody in, in the water. Mm-hmm. And I went home, and now the N73 is very close to my house because it's a very, very dangerous road. And on a, nearly on a daily occasion, somebody has an accident or something on it, and I'm often called to assist them on the area. So I went back up to know, could I be of any assistance to, to anybody in the area? And at that stage, I discovered that they were, they were taking a man from the River Blackwater, and I see two ambulances, a fire engine, and a number of guard cars. Was it the Blackwater or the Obeg? No, the Obeg, the Obeg, the Obeg. Yeah, okay. That's a tributary, the Blackwater, is it? A tributary, the Blackwater, that's right. And while I was there, I heard of the the car that had burned in in, uh, Drowned Deer. Now, I automatically thought that there were two separate incidents, and I didn't realise it until I went up to Drowned Deer that the two two cases had been linked. Yeah, well, we're not not speculating on the link right now, but they definitely were known to one another anyway. They were known to one another, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah, it must be a fairly um, harrowing to come across it. 
It's absolutely shocking in the community here. I'm shocked this morning, you know, meeting the local people now up and down the road. It's a very, very quiet area, and there's never any trouble like this in the area, you know. Mm. And, like, naturally enough, when anybody dies, and under these circumstances, it, it, it is frightening, like, you know. Without mentioning anybody or identifying anybody, do, do you know either no, of the people involved? I don't know. I, no, look, we've heard names, and, uh, and I'm pretty sure the names are correct, mm. but look, it's for me to mention them, Good. but Good. I don't know the people involved, no. Okay. I would know all of them, but I don't know them personally. Of course. Of course, but in any area, it's 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 traumatising for this to happen, but in a small, tightly knit community like that. Yes, yes. It, it, like, everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows. It's, it's, it's a typical country area. Everybody it's a typical knows. country area, yes, yes. The typical country. And like the only people, like in, in that woodland, while I live in the area, and I'm only about two and a half, three miles from it, um, the only people I ever see in the area was hunters, you know, shooting or with a dog hunting, hunting, you know, would be known as a hunting area, but wouldn't really have been an area where people would be walking that much. If you went for a walk or if you were doing that, you'd more more than likely go to Donald Park. Yeah. All right. Yeah. A lot of people are walking at the moment, but... Well, they, they are walking. No, they, I've seen more people walking this year, you know, in fairness, since the COVID than I've ever seen. But, like, um, Donald Park would be more, more uh, would be more open area for, for walks and things. Yeah. Listen, take care, Frank. Thanks very much. And as we say, if we hear anything more from the scene this morning as where the investigation might be going or if the guards speak two reporters at the scene. I'm sure we can uh, catch up again with Fiona if there are any developments before the end of the programme. As we spoke this morning, the body of the woman was still at the scene. People were questioning last night why that's necessary because Dr. Bolster has to examine the scene with the body still there and only when she has carried out her examination. This is just the way it works. People were saying it's callous and it's this and it's that to leave the body there. Until such time as the pathologist has examined the scene with the body there, only then can it be removed because part of her investigation, part of her report, her work starts right there, right there. Uh, So as soon as she's visited the scene and examined the scene, examined the body at the scene, she'll then give permission for the body to be removed and then she will come back and carry out the post-mortem and... When the guards say the next phase of our examination will depend on the outcome of the post-mortem, that's actually what they say, what they mean. Because the pathologist will pretty much indicate, if she can, what happened. It's a desperately tragic story by all accounts, and we will follow it as sensitively as we can. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Sean. All right, Sean. Okay, okay. If if the distinction means that much to you, he says the government didn't make a decision about Astra Zeneca. Please correct him on this. Yeah, it was the vaccines advisors who report to the Department of Health, which is part of government. We have a national vaccine advisor board and. They advise based on what's in front of them and then that goes to the Department of Health which is an arm 
of government. So, Sean, when I say government, it's it's a kind of a umbrella term. All right, thanks, Sean. You see, you can you can get too caught up in that too. But thank you, Sean. Appreciate it. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Catherine, my thoughts are with you. I'm so sorry to hear this. Uh, my dad passed away two weeks ago today in Ballino, the day he was due to be vaccinated. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. On a happier note, how are you passing the time in lockdown? Every paint job must be done at this stage. Uh, you can only that you can only look out at the mud flats that used to be your back garden at the moment, and you can do a whole not do a whole lot with them. But you could tidy and declutter the house. Oh, there's breaking news. Uh, insurance company FBD has been ordered to pay COVID claims for a number of publicans. We'll, we'll try and put more meat on the bones of this. It's a story that a lot of people might not remember if they're not directly connected, but there's been victory for them. Uh, and the insurance company has been told to pay out their claims for damage to their business. So we'll follow up on that one. But that's good news. Publicans will be very happy with that. Let's go back, though. Um, we have our own Mary Kondo advisor in Cork, and she's been on the show before, uh, Vera Cahan in Kinsale. Vera, good morning to you. Uh, good to talk to you How again. You Not too bad at all. I, I guess when you're, when you're stuck at home with nothing to do and, and nowhere to go, and you can't go to the back garden because it's like the Everglades out there uh, at this stage, like a swamp. You can start to declutter and clear out the house. Where would you start? You can, PJ. Now, I would believe that the very first lockdown, the enthusiasm was huge and there were skips and painting and everything else That's going right. on in the homes. Um, and people were full of gusto. And even in the second lockdown, people were full of the joys and doing it and the weather was good. But the third lockdown has hit people hard and actually they're at an all-time low and the country is at an all-time low. And our environment, our world really, is spiralling out of control. But we can take control of small areas of our lives. So um, if you'd like me to share a few tips with your listeners today that I could suggest that they would do in their homes while they can. um, What I would do is start at home in your own environment. Just take a look around. Pretend you're a visitor and just see... It's a thing we rarely do. Just stop and look around and think what is annoying us here in the home, unless, of course, there's someone coming to visit or something's happening, and then we'll make a mad dash and it'll be thrown somewhere else. So that's the first thing I do, is take a good look around at your environment. When we moved into our family home, we might have been a couple, there might have been a single person on their own, but since then, a lot of people have grown, they have had family members added to their family, they've had um, more possessions, and every area seems to be bursting at the seams. So a lot of people believe it's more storage that they need or an extension or an attic conversion. (laughs) But I would say to them uh, in answer to that, that it's really less stuff you need, not more space. And before you embark on any kind of extension or big plan like that, just start decluttering. There's a saying in in Coogan Towers, Vera, that we tend to say, "Ah, listen, the mess expands to fit the space. Absolutely correct. It does. <laughs> and the same with spending money. The more we have, the more we're actually going to spend. Yeah. Uh, that's what happens. So um, it's all about just making the space that you have livable for you and comfortable for you and your family and an inviting space to be in. 
So um, I would create a vision then in your head of how exactly you'd like your home to look and feel and keep that vision alive as, you know, it's kind of something to aspire to when you're, when you're feeling that you can't get there or you don't think you'll ever get there. Just keep your dream alive always. Yeah. Um, and the first thing then, I would start by discarding. So um, getting rid of what you don't need, what you don't use, or just a lot of houses I've been in have recycling that they haven't got rid of. I mean, cardboard boxes and things like that that just pile up old furniture that, you know, they've replaced the couch, but the old armchair is still sitting in the garage with a blanket over it. Things like that. Just move all that energy up and out of the house. Those kind of jobs. I'm not sure about recycling centres. You might be able to make a, a trip to one if it's within your 5K. But um, at least move them aside and out of the way. Yeah. And get your current space working for you. Um, and just make it, you know, more user-friendly. Because yeah. you know what clutter is? It's just the physical manifestation of unmade decisions, and that's fueled by procrastination. Oh, really? That's exactly In that case, I've never made a decision in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what you say about well, getting, getting rid of stuff and deciding what's to go? Help yes. me here, Vera, for, mm-hmm. for this reason. And we did it last weekend, and we've got, there's another weekend's work in it. We're doing yeah. the job clearing the attic out at the moment. Mm-hmm. And the missus is brilliant because what she'll do is say, that stuff goes in the skip, all of it. Yeah. Until I get my hands on it. <laughs> and you have... And I'm like, I need that. Pieces. I want that. I haven't read that book. I don't know. You can't throw that out. I've had that for 30 years. It's a bit of wound up wire. I'd plug in the end of it. Like, and yeah. no, no, no. And it eventually, it's a, it needs, you need to be ruthless. You have to be ruthless, okay? But there's, there's three ways in dealing with your possessions. You can deal with them now. You can deal with them sometime. Or you can leave them until you de- the day you die and leave the mess to somebody else, which isn't a very nice perspective either. So if you don't get to deal with. Yeah. So I would say, uh, muck in, make the decisions. Just ask yourself realistically and wait for the proper answer. Do I actually genuinely need this? If you feel you do, by all means, keep it. And keep it somewhere near you where you will use it. And if yeah. in the next couple of weeks you're not going to use it, just let it go with a heart and a half. And you know what? If it's in the attic for the last 20 years, you probably won't miss it anyway. But <laughs> when right. we see it again, we think we will. Absolutely. You know, when we yeah. well, you see, you put yeah, it up yeah. there in the first place, to, particularly an attic now or a cupboard under the stairs. You put it mm-hmm. up there or you put it in there because you might want it again. Exactly. Yeah, that's what happens. And even when I'm decluttering with people, they find it hard to let go of simple things. I mean, I'm talking like a wooden spoon, like, oh, no, I'll leave that now. But there must be six more in the drawer. Um, But (laughs) I would say put them aside. See how you manage without them before you, you know, before you make the decision to completely get rid of them. See how you go. Well, you've lasted without it for the last five years while it was sitting up in the the press. You said that um, clutter is, is not making decisions. But in fairness... What about at the moment in particular, if you're at home, working at home, the kids at home from school, mm-hmm. it, you're in, there's not a lot of time either for cleaning and punishing. The situation publishing. we've been landed in now is, yeah, it's difficult. It's very difficult for people with children at home and trying to work from home as well. Um, but the clutter that's built up um, didn't happen overnight. It happened over years. Um, and we really need to be a ruthless editor of what we allow into our home to begin with. I mean, the advertising and Amazon, the next day delivery, I mean, it's just a click and it's, it's at your doorstep the following day. Um, so it's very easy for us to... It comes in a cardboard box three times the size of what was needed. Yeah, so um, just even to be a little bit more mindful, the whole KonMari method actually is much more than just folding and organising. It's all about 
a shift in your mindset and a change in your habit. And for real change to occur, that's what has to happen. Is it not about just rolling up your socks and jocks into Absolutely small balls? Absolutely not. No? no, not at all. No, there's an awful lot more to it than that. I remember watching the... Yeah. I, I don't have that neither the time nor the indication to roll them up into small balls. Give me a break here, like. <laughs> no, um, it's, it's like a journey of self-discovery. That's what it is, actually, the whole Canary method, if you were really to delve deep in through it. And while we're working through our physical clutter, it's like a gateway to working through our emotional clutter. Because everything we have has emotion attached to it. It has. It has. So, like boxes um, of photographs right. that you haven't looked at yeah. in 20 years. And yeah. It can be painful. But somebody is going to have to deal with those photographs at some point. Um, there's a whole other decluttering method called um, the Swedish Death Cleanse, which sounds kind of morbid, but it's actually a great read. It's a short oh, book what? by Margaret Mac- The Swedish Death Cleanse. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's a great stage of life to be at in your 50s and 60s where you're preparing for the next stage of your life. And it's all about preparing for that and letting go and not leaving the burden of your possession. That, that sound a bit morbid. It does sound morbid, but PJ, unfortunately, none of us are getting out of here alive. This is very true. Listen, thank so, you for all of yeah. that. Sarah. People can find you. Have you a Facebook or a website? Yes, I'm on Instagram, enjoy underscore your underscore home. And I'm on Facebook and I'm on enjoyyourhome.ie also. Okay. Uh, so, and, yeah. it's, and it's not all about rolling up your socks and jocks. Thank you very much. Vera, Michael, yeah, you need to be ruthless. I'm not. Are you? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Not too bad. Do you, um, do you get around the ruthless bit? Oh, come here. You have to be ruthless. I, uh, the amount of times that I go, go home and I look at, obviously, doing what I do, the amount of times that I find bits and pieces of furniture uh, left in the back and discovering them about a year or two later... Um, you have to be ruthless and, and I agree uh, there is an emotional attachment to lo- a lot of stuff that we have um, you know it might have been bought in such a place or we wore it to such a thing or we you know we wore a certain piece of clothing here there and everywhere and it is very difficult for, for us to throw things out um, Oh I found disco lights up in the attic last weekend I haven't used them in 10 years I will never use them again but would I throw them out not on your life but you'll keep them. Yeah, exactly. Um, I suppose, look, from my, from my line of work, I, I get people coming in all the time with a, an old chair or an old table or something like that. And they say, you know, what, what can I do with this? I've had it for five or six years inside in the, inside in the, in the shed or the garage or somewhere that we've never, ever used it. Um, it's belonged to so-and-so or it's belonged to a grandmother or relative or something like that. And have fun with it. You know, paint it, do something nice. You're not going to destroy it. The thing has been around for a long, long time. Um, if you don't like its colour, paint it. Um, you know, upcycle it, do something with it. Um, it, it the memories that you've had with it um, probably will always be with it. But if, if it doesn't fit in your home, there's probably a reason it doesn't, whether it's outdated or something like that. So, yes, be ruthless, but, you know, be mindful at the same time. Um, because you could always throw it out and kind of go, where did I put, about three or four years later, where did I put that? You know, I, I remember where I put it five years ago, but uh, I, when I go looking for it, you won't, uh, you won't know where it is. Um, but yeah, look, it's, it's something that we do. Um, we like to keep it, the emotional, the attachments are, uh, are what I suppose kind of they're part of our makeup as well. Remind but, us uh, again of your company name, Michael. Uh, well, I'm Salvage M, PJ. I'm down below on McCurtain Street, number six and seven. And I I look after all the old and forgotten, lovely pieces of furniture that people look at and kind of go, no, we're going to, it's gone beyond the, it's gone beyond the sell by date. Uh, so if they, if they do want to bring a piece in or even certainly give us a, 
give us a, an email or a, or a message on WhatsApp or Instagram or Facebook, they certainly can. Um, and, and they'll find us at Salvage M Cork um, on Facebook and on Instagram. But we're down here on the Cork Street, number six and number seven. All right, so. okay. Michael, appreciate, well. appreciate that. Thank you very much. Good talking to you. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I'm the world's worst. Like I am the absolute world's worst when it comes to throwing throwing stuff out. I can't. I can't. Like eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Coming up in the next hour. This little legend. Hello, everyone. My name is Adam, and you can share my virtual hug. You To his dad later. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1857 number to call. Text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 Your email opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter at Opinion Line 96. Hashtag is OL96. And of course, the Cork's 96FM Facebook page. Message us there too. Uh, mark your messages, if you would, please, for the attention of the opinion line. If you've missed anything from the first two hours this morning, and there's been a lot there, Rob wants to know on Twitter, uh, will the item about It's a Sin be available to listen back? Yes, it will, Rob. Yes, it will indeed. Uh, we'll pop that up as a, po- as a podcast. It'll be part of our podcast this afternoon goes up maybe two, three o'clock that way. Watch your Twitter feed. See as you follow us on Twitter. Watch your Twitter and the link will go up there in mid-afternoon with the whole show on it. All right. Thanks, Rob, for that. Um, on vaccination, Mark says there's 10 million people vaccinated in England. We should be vaccinated twice over at this stage. Michal is way too slow, says Mark in Bantry. And another one has, I work with a taxi company the HSE contract who describe us as essential workers we transport dialysis patients doctors people to and from COVID tests etc etc nearly every person working for and with the HSE has been vaccinated yet they don't see us as frontline workers however we're working away without giving out and moaning about not being brought in line with the vaccination many thanks uh, yeah, I, I totally support the idea if anyone wants to argue with me about it, of getting pretty much everyone that works in healthcare and on the front line of any kind, and I mean guards, fire brigade, paramedics, nurses, yes, maybe even teachers get schools back. Let's vaccinate the hell out of the front line first, uh, as well as the most, most vulnerable. And I still not buying this nonsense that we can't buy it, can't buy a supply. If we need extra, get extra. Get on the phone and get extra because there's nothing to stop us. This nonsense that we have to wait for Europe to give us everything. I'm sorry. It's just not, it's not true. We don't have to. We could buy our own if we wanted to. 1857 I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it. This, as I said, little legend is at it again. Hello, everyone. My name is Adam and you you can get my cards and help the hospital.
hospital CUHM Cork and the hospital Temple Street in Dublin. Bye! David, hello. Hi, PJ, how are things? Ah, sure. Grand all together. His, his smile now is almost as much a part of our... It's in our minds as much as the virtual hug. That little grin of his is just fabulous. Think back to November, toy show night, and his appearance there. Did you ever think that this would take such a life of its own? Absolutely not. No way. I mean, look, for us as a family and for Adam, it was it was at that moment, I mean, being fulfilled. And uh, for us as well, I mean, like any child, you know, just to be on the toy show was a fantastic experience. Um, we just we just had no idea, to be honest. And look, he, like, he, he, we're just so proud. Like, he just... He presented himself as he is, you know, like his Teddy Bobby and his hug. These are things that are a part of him, and you know that he that he's a. That's just the way he is. Anyone who knows Adam knows that will see that he was just as he is every day. And um, we're, we're, it's it's really humbling and overwhelming the way people have taken Adam uh, into their hearts. We're, he's we're, he's we're a pure natural on the camera, by the way, isn't he? <laughs> well, when when he gets to chat with people like PJ, he. Uh, you know, he, he's a uh, it's 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 no bother, you know, because you're you're such an amazing person to talk to, and uh, he's got a great course. Yeah, that line isn't the best. Hopefully, hopefully it'll hold. Where did the idea, David, come from for the the hug for you cards? Well, for the cards, I suppose. Look, it, it, it was inspired by the people of Ireland very much so, and and beyond Ireland. Um, I mean, you wouldn't believe the amount of messages we got for people saying that they'd love to have the opportunity to. Um, have a, a hug for themselves or to be able to share the hug um, themselves to the people that they love and that they care about. And so that was, I suppose, the inspiration at the start. But then, like, I mean, obviously you need to have a vision for these things and you need to have somebody with drive. And so we've been so fortunate from from uh, from the get-go, um, from when I released uh, the book, you know, from last year, to work with um, an amazing person, a uh, corporate person, Julie McLaughlin of Cadence PR. And Julie really had the, the vision and the drive and the energy to... To, and the passion as well and the care for our family to, to um, get this project over the line. And, you know, like I suppose I'm sure anyone who is involved in business will appreciate a card being on a shelf does not happen by accident. Mm. It takes people behind it and it takes dynamic people and people with strong values and vision. And Judy has been that for our family from the very start. So we're so appreciative. And obviously then the partnership with Garlana, Greeting Cards and the Musgrave Group in Cork, like we're, yeah. we're just... We're over the moon, to be honest with you, to be able to do this. So, well, well, it's um, great that it's a Cork company. I mean, and there's a super value in Sintra, not far from any of us. And and Mosley, of course, being such a huge asset, a huge business asset of Cork, it's it's a massive, massive tie-in, and it'll be easy to get with super values and, and Sintras. The, 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 the proceeds then going to charities, of course, very close to all of your hearts. Yes, so... Um CUH, uh, CUH Hospital in Cork, CUH Charity and the Children's Hospital Foundation in Temple Street. I mean, obviously, they're, they're both incredibly close to our hearts. I mean, Adam was born in Cork University Maternity Hospital and literally from the day he's been born, he's been a patient of the two hospitals and, and he's been, he's had, he, he was born, Adam was born with two families. He was born with our family and was born with his hospital family and both remain very, very strong and connected with them and so, like, we're just so lucky. I mean, thinking of Cork, like, we have Professor Keenan O'Donoghue, who, who delivered Adam and is still his friend to this day, uh, Sinead Boren in orthopaedics, who's done all his surgeries, and she's just an absolute global expert um, in terms of uh, Adam's condition. Um, his nurse, Marie, in the Seahorse Ward, and his dentist, Siobhan. I mean, like, I, 
every single time we go to the hospital in the CUH and Temple Street, we just we come mm. away just saying like, do we realise how lucky but we are? They're, they're all besotted with him, David. Ah, uh, sure. Look, uh, I mean, and we're besotted with them. I mean, we're, we're just we're very lucky, you know. So we, when we when we saw like that, we'd have an opportunity to be able to give something back uh, to the hospitals. We just jumped at the chance, you know. Now, when someone gets one of the cards, Adam is asking that they do something else as well with them. Yeah, so in the design of the cards, like I suppose one of the things Adam, like all of his siblings, loves uh, art and creativity and things like that. And he, and that's due thanks in no small part to his mother um, who inspires all that in him. And Adam really enjoyed the process of making his virtual hug. And it was it was inspired by wanting to share his uh, connection with his teachers and, and his hospital family during the first shutdown. And he really enjoyed the process of making it. So we wanted to give other people that chance to to put their own stamp and their own design on um, the hug for you. And so in the card, when you open it, there's actually a little cutout space. And people, when they're sending the card, they can either write a message in there, do their own design, or they can send a blank. And to the person receiving it, they can do their own design. But what they can do is then they can cut it out. And on the front of it, you'll have Adam's virtual hug. And on the back, you'll have your own one. And you can keep it and hang it somewhere special to let people know that you're connected with them. And, and if you do that, we'd love to hear your stories. You know, so please uh, connect with us on Twitter and on Instagram uh, at Adventures W A D. W A D means with a difference. Adventures with a difference. Adventures W A D. Adams. Yeah, and hashtag Adams Virtual Hug. All right, listen, David. It's always great to to talk to you. Uh, how's himself keeping? He's busy, you oh, see. He's he needs to go through his agent now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he's delighted. He's he's happy out. I mean, he loves the fact that um, that, his, that his virtual hug is out there. He really does, and you know, it, it isn't lost on him. It, that's that's the thing that's really important. He really does realise uh, the impact he's had on people, and he appreciates it. But look, I suppose to be honest, is he going to send like, one to his friend Commander Hatfield? Uh, well, he, he he's got a couple of these. I, at this stage from signing cards but <laughs> but he's, he's going to send a couple but to be honest with you I would say first and foremost he'll be sending some to his family um, because uh, and of course all the people that have been part of the journey and uh, and I think look he's happy he's, he's, he's enjoying life and I suppose like many children across the country now he's, he's engaged in home learning at yeah. home right now yeah. and that's it's really important to keep that going you know and thanks to his amazing teachers and and amazing teachers everywhere, really, um, to, that, that that is keeping going, you know. And right. so that's that's really the big focus. And all the other stuff about hugs and, and everything is just a fantastic bonus on top of that. Isn't it just? Isn't it just? David, a pleasure yeah. as always to talk to you. Give our best to, to the man himself and, of course, to, to Fiona, his mum, and the rest of the family. That's David King, 1850 The card's available in Super Value and Centra. Um, and there's dozens of them. So you'll get the card. I think they were three ninety nine or something for the cards, and they do as as it says. Yeah, there's a whole merch line coming here, isn't there? You could see mugs, right? You could see t-shirts. Summertime, we'll all be down to our t-shirts again. You could see t-shirts going around with that. It's great. It's just great. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Vera was back on. Uh, she said, "Great talking to PJ. Let him know the name of the book I mentioned is." The Art of Swedish Death Cleaning by Margaret Magnusson. That's the... I tell you something now. You hear many, many strange things on this programme. But that someone actually wrote a book called The Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. Well worth a read. Apparently it puts a whole new slant on decluttering. It may be helpful to PJ in making decisions on his own decluttering journey. Yeah. I, I think I'm a lost cause at this stage. I really am. You can always reach out and use my service also. Thanks a million, says Vera. Thank you. 
the I'm a woman. I do clutter a little bit. Get this, PJ. I still have the pram from my first child. He's in his 50s. Oh, as long as I'm here, it'll stay there. They can do what they like with it when I'm dead. That's the best yet. She has her first child's pram. Now, we have photographs. and We were only going through them last weekend. We have photographs of when we brought her to on the first ever sunshine holiday and stuff like that. She has her child's first pram still in the attic and the child is in his 50. Would you not at least put it out in the shed and put potatoes in it or something? Make it useful. Yes, someone did that. I knew someone who did that. Had an old pram. One of those, you know those big, huge, huge prams. They, were, they had a name. I can't remember what it was now. They were big, huge prams. They were built like a, built like a Ford Escort. Massive yoke. And, and when the child had grown out of the pram and all the children were grown out of the pram, to go out the shed and to hold turf or potatoes or something. Gives me an idea. Anyone got anything in their attic that they just will not part with? You just absolutely will not part with it, regardless. Regardless. No one will make you part with this. No matter how useless and old it is. Can you beat that? 083 396 96 96. Are there any charity shops taking stuff at the moment, says this message? I'm cleaning out in the East Cork area. What is working? What is working is those skip bags and the collections for those skip bags. They work. Uh, it's all very well to say you can visit the dump, but if you're getting rid of old duvets or cardboard boxes, that's not classed as an essential trip and you'll be stopped by the guards. I can neither verify nor deny that, caller, but thank you for it. Thank you for it. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Yes, 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 yes. They were the Silver Cross Prams. That was the name of it. My son is now 50, 57. <laughs> and the Duchess of Cambridge, Kate Middleton, has one of those prams. Yeah, she was, she was probably carried in herself as a child. They lasted forever. Forever. I'd love to... Uh, listen, it's the last, what, 40 minutes of the show on a Friday. If you have anything in the attic, that you absolutely will not throw out for love nor money. Love nor money. You won't throw it out. People look at it as if you had three heads. And would you not get... No. 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 I don't care what it is. There's that woman with her pram, her son's pram. Her son is 57 and she still has the pram in the attic. There's got to be something more like that out there. 1850-715-996. Now, did you know that dogs get a form of coronavirus. Not the one we get. It's very important to state. Not the one we get. And they can't give it to us. But there is a coronavirus in dogs and they need to get a jab. Uh, Bill Cashman from Cashman Industrial Vets. Bill, good morning. I've heard of this before, but of course, when it hits the headlines in the middle of what we're going through ourselves, people get very worried about it. What is it? 
Well, I suppose it crystallises it all right, given the year, but I think you're very wise to point out that it's not in any way related to COVID-19, and that's the first thing. The second thing is that there is a coronavirus for nearly every species of animal on the planet anyway, so pigs get them, cattle get them, horses can get them, and they can affect different organs in different ways, and even they don't cross-react with each other in terms of uh, immunity and that. So if we're looking just at dogs at the moment, and in particular the one that's um, coming to the fore now in, in Dublin, you have two variants. One is one that causes a pneumonia or respiratory signs, we'll call it, and the other one attacks the intestine. And there is a vaccine against the respiratory one because it's part of a condition known as kennel cough, that's what yeah. it used to be called. Yeah. But that vaccine isn't of any use against the virus that lives and resides in the intestine. And therefore, this is, uh, most dogs actually, you won't even know they have it, this intestinal form. They'll get over it. It usually happens young dogs. They can they can go over to the extreme then, and they can get a hemorrhagic gastroenteritis, which is just a nice way of saying um, vomiting and diarrhea where they're also passing blood. And that's the most severe. It's very rare, so I don't want people to be panicking about it, that if you go out, your dog is going to get this, you know, from thin air or that. Because... It's normally spread by um, ingesting, um, you know, uh, soiled uh, ground and that's where another animal would have passed feces. And that brings us right back to our normal standard hygiene for dog walkers. You yes. see people out with the bags and they clean up. And if a dog has diarrhea, when well, you go and take it out yeah. for a walk, you, you know, it wouldn't be sensible anyway. Kennel cough is one of the standard vaccinations that every dog gets, isn't it now? Um, it is becoming more so. In fact, the name on that is changing because the name kennel does not apply to the boarding kennels that we have in the modern yeah. time. Yeah, it yeah. applies to the 1800s when they had, you know, hounds and kennels and if the kennel had a cough in it. Everybody, it was an egg yeah. or a cough. Back in those days, they hadn't even heard of the word virus. That's right. So, right. therefore, um, they're now beginning to call it um, infectious tracheosis, which is it's a bit technical maybe, but all it means is that it's an infection of the windpipe. Yeah. And there are a number of different... No, um, maybe maybe I, I should have asked the question differently, Bill. Is, is, if, you, if you are bringing your dog, as you should do, and I only got a bip on my phone the other day that one of my lads needs his shots. Oh, that, yeah. Like, if you are bringing your dog for their regular vaccinations, you've nothing to worry about with regard to this tracheitis. Is that true? Because they, they, they'll have had it anyway. Well, no, not necessarily. Oh, really? um, it, 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 you see, it's, it's a disease like any other. If the animal was exposed to a little of it when they were young and they become immune, you'll never know that that happened. Gotcha. But you, if you had a dog, say, in a country area and they came into a, a doggy daycare or a, any place where there's a congregation of animals, yes. then that's where it spreads. And that's why... Um, up to a few years ago, you'd only give it to dogs if they were going to kennels. But now you've got so many doggy groups and daycare centres and all of that. That's congregation as well. Yes. So more and more, it is being included, as you said. But there are a number of different agents in that. There's a bacterium, there's a couple of viruses, and they all kind of meet in the windpipe and they give the dog a very harsh sort of a cough. Yes. Um, and they bring up this phlegm. Yeah. Many people actually think the dog is vomiting, but it's like, um, if you could imagine a feather in your throat. Yes. That's the sensation we think that the dog has. Right. And um, right. there's a vaccine against that. Yes. And coronavirus, the respiratory one, is involved in that. Okay. And now, the other one then, the nasty one for, that, yes. that sits in the tummy, is there any vaccine for that? 
No, well, not that I know of in Ireland. Um, it hasn't been developed. They did try in, in the States, I think, to um, see if they could make a cross-reaction from the other. But I, look, as far as I know, that hasn't worked. And what I've read up on it, um, yeah. it there is none, no. Yeah. I how, hope there's no drug company out there thinking that I'm wrong. But I, how do we protect that. our dogs from these things, Bill? Um, I would imagine that if... Look, care for walking. Don't let them go sniffing at other dogs' stools would be a, a good idea. Or if all of us pick up the poop like we're supposed to. Um, and if your dog is sick, don't take them out. That's as much as you can do at the moment. Um, uh, you know, there is no vaccine against it. So, I mean, all I can preach is the normal hygiene um, management. There is no magic bullet or cure. I mean, I think we've all got awakening up this year as to where we are in nature. You know, you can't negotiate with viruses, so stay away from them. Yes. It's probably the best. Um, Again, if your dog is healthy, 99% of dogs will just throw this off them and some might get a mild diarrhea and it might be treated or not treated. You you know, the usual thing, you lighten off their food for a day or two, you might give them the special food for dogs with enteritis for a day or two. Um, You know, and, and you manage it. And the more severe ones then, will need um, intensive fluids and yes. anti-shock and basic support. Okay. And then the immune system that we've all depended on for millions of years will hopefully kick in yeah. and you'll get over it. But I wouldn't panic about it. But I would just be Cormac. Farmer has been on the phone here, Bill. It's a good question. And we talked during the week and I literally don't understand the tsunami of dog poo that is around the city and county at the moment. It's just ridiculous. But some people are tossing it over the ditch. So they pick it up in a tissue or something and they fire it over the ditch into a field. Farmer is worried. Could that make his cattle or his sheep sick? Um, there is a condition um, that that causes abortion in, in, in cattle called Neospora. Um, Latin, in Latin it's Neosporum caninum so that'll tell you that it's carried by dogs and that can um, cause um, cows to lose calves um, and cause, it's a big cause of infertility actually in, in a lot of countries and that's another reason and I think people that do that are doing a double negative I mean a, a triple negative one is they're putting it in plastic and then they're putting it over into a ditch now that's not biodegradable and then you know if that gets broken and gets into a herd that's not that's not a social, good social behaviour, I would imagine. I, uh, you know, but I, look, I suppose there are always people who do things that... Yeah. Can, can we just briefly, before I let you go, Bill, can you actually address that point, the, the number of people? And it's great to see people out walking their dogs and, you know, and, and all of that. But, but like I said, the tsunami of dog poo. I spoke to a very distressed man during the week. He, he's in a, he uses a wheelchair and he's out training because he's an athlete. And the number of times that he's... You, I don't need to describe. He described it yeah. extremely well, what happens. Like, can you appeal to dog owners, Bill? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, look, that's all we can do is to encourage people look to remember. And sometimes people just forget. Or they forget the bag or they forget that. But look, remember it the next time and do it again. And, you know, try and remind people that if you see it happening, well, without getting into a confrontation, that, you know, would it not be better if that were uh, collected? Yeah. Um, look, maybe there's a role for more wardens, but I, I mean, look, there are masks lying around the place too. Yes, it's true. Are, like so, all we can do is keep encouraging people okay. and praise the people who are doing it properly, and then hopefully that'll spread and that'll become normal. All right, listen, Bill. Thank you very much. That's Bill Cashman from Cashman O'Driscoll's Vets. Uh, this 
coronavirus that dogs get, have no worries about it. There is no connection to the one that we can get. They can't give it to us and we can't get it off of them. Just be wary of it. And it's used to be known as kennel cough. It's got a new name now, but it used to be known as kennel cough. If you're worried about it, your vet will look after your dog for kennel cough. And the other one, there isn't a vaccine yet, but generally it's kind of a gastric thing and it's a sort of a vomiting and diarrhea. Nothing, nothing too much to Just be aware of it. Just be aware. 1850-715-996. Loads of people are now about those, those prams. They used to be called a Heinelli. No, that was a bike. A bike was a Heinelli with big, huge springs on it. Where are we going with... Oh, yeah, Anne. Anne, what have you got? Good morning. Good morning. What have you? I have my my christening rope belong to my first son. Uh, he's 55 now. Right. And it has gone down through my own children, my grandchildren, my all my sister's children. And I'd say there was about nearly 100 children when was the last time it was used? Pardon? Uh, about two years ago. Right. And how do you keep it? I mean, it's... Uh, listen, I, I won't let anybody wash it. If I want to, I get it cleaned. And it's back in the bag. And the blanket, the little crochet blanket, is the very same as the day we bought it. And you wouldn't parted it for love, no money? No. And I wouldn't put potatoes on it either. <laughs> well, I think that was the, they did that with the trams. The trams. Potatoes on turf. That was another thing. They put turf in it. Well, the turf, oh, that wasn't nice at all, PJ. What? That wasn't nice thing to say at all. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pass with it. It's here now, looking around the bed, and I haven't taken it out for about two or three years. Yeah. And it's the same as the day I bought it. Good for you. Good for you. And I wrap it in blue paper. Good. Good and, and 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 long may and long may it last because it clearly it's a, it's a closely and dearly held tradition. Right, she's got a christening outfit from fifty five years ago. With regard to the prams, I wasn't I wasn't saying she should put anything into the christening outfit. No, 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 no. Prams is what you put the the potatoes in and the and the turf. Breda, what have you? What have you there, Breda? Hi, how are you? Hi. I have a motor basket. Right. Fifty five years. My daughter will be 55 in July. Right. I want to throw it out, but my husband won't allow me. Really? Why, yes. why, why do you want to throw it out? It's something no more use. I've had seven children and it. Ten grandchildren used it. Hmm. It's now in the shed and I keep all my tools, screwdrivers, <laughs> paintbrushes. Yes! <laughs> I'm not living very far from you. <laughs> right. But it's guess. been to move with me three times. Yeah. Yeah. Three different houses. <laughs> You're so. stuck with that one though. And he's not gonna let you and you know what he's right. <laughs> it just takes space up in the shed, as I said. Yeah. But, but you see all your tools and things. Yeah. Well I'm meant to them? see them and it's taken out every summer and he cleans out the shed. The yeah. basket is hosed down, it was made from it. The Blind Asylum. Oh, right. It's a wicker basket, yes. down where down there, you, down near St. John's College. There used to be a home for the blind down there. And they used yeah, to... and they made them. Right. <laughs> Crikey. I just laughed when I heard about the pram. I said, Vic, I have to go on. <laughs> Good on you, Breda. Good to talk to you. Have a nice weekend. Thank you. 1850-715-996. Yeah, that was years ago. If you go down, if you don't remember it, down where John, St. John's College is now, across the road from the, the South Vic, 
there was uh, was it St. Joseph's lads help me out here was it, it might have been St. Monica's St. Monica's Home for the Blind had a sign on the side of it and it used to say basket weaving chairs recaned knitting done I, this is this is scaring me how much I remember basket making chairs recaned knitting done by residents St. Monica's it was St. Monica's down there and underneath it used to be Irish International Trading ah lads we're getting too old for this yeah if you have any more ideas um, on stuff that you just will not part Moses baskets now we've got and we've got prams and we've got a christening robe anything else you just simply will not part with Eugene still has his first teddy bear Eugene is nearly 62 come on Eugene I have a christening gown. It's in our family over 50 years. Mom used it on all my siblings, and we in turn are using it in our families. We also have one of those prams, the big silver cross. Something else that used to happen with silver cross prams was that you take the wheels off them, right? You take the wheels off them, and you used to make steer nas out of them. Now, if you need me to tell you what a steer nas is, then I will, but you shouldn't need to be told what a steer nas is. <laughs> Terry is looking at me through the glass going, what the hell is this? I'll tell you later. I'll tell you later. But they used to take the wheels off the, off the silver cross prams and if you had a steering a with silver cross pram wheels on it, you were like Mario Andretti or, or Michael Schumacher or someone of them fellas uh, because the speed you'd get, oh, gee, they were brilliant. They were brilliant. It was like robbing a, a shopping trolley in the old Super, super Quinn, remember? Or Quinsworth. And right, yeah, we all did that too. 1850-715-996 on Dog Poo. PJ, please, please, please ask the lovely people of Kinsale clean up their dog poo. It's everywhere. If you love your dogs, treat them like your child. You wouldn't let your child poo on the footpath. Please, please, please clean it up, says Moira. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 969696. On Cork's 96FM. Those of us fascinated with the story of Tom Crean uh, and explorer Tom Crean were delighted to read this week that a new marine research vessel is to be named the RV Tom Crean, named after the renowned seaman and explorer. Three major groundbreaking expeditions to the Antarctic in the early years of the 20th century. And of course, what was learned out there increased knowledge and helped to explore previously unreached areas of the world at that time. It's a new 52, it's a big thing, a 52.8 metre, that's about a, nearly 200 foot long, modern research vessel uh, is, is to be named the RV Tom Crean. And Tom's granddaughter, Aileen, joins me. Aileen, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How you must you? be delighted with this. We're absolutely delighted, yeah, the family are delighted, Um Lord Cornell Caneda, a Dingleman from the Marine Institute, contacted us over a year ago about it to see what we think of the idea. And of course, we were absolutely thrilled um, because, as I suppose, we're the custodians of Tom Crean's heritage and, yeah. and it's wonderful to have him honoured appropriately. 
you know, um, this is uh, this is one of the most advanced marine research vessels in the world, um, and it's designed by the Norwegians to withstand um, harsh seas, so it can go to sea for 21 days at a time and, and it, it can work all year round. So yeah. they'll, they'll do incredible um, and, research with and us. Tom and his time knew all about harsh seas and being away for a long time and unexplored areas. So it's it's really fitting, isn't it? It is, because when you think of it, uh, Tom went on the three expeditions and uh, I suppose like scientists, there's a sense of curiosity, a sense of adventure. He left on a skull, you know, at 15. He hadn't a clue what he was heading into. And and on each of these expeditions, there was a team of scientists. Now, Tom obviously wasn't a scientist, but, you know, he was was sharing. He was uh, working with them and everything. And in fact... Um, on Scott's second expedition, you know, when he was returning from the pole after the disappointment of of getting to the South Pole and then finding the Norwegian flag, ironically there, and uh, they were they were weak and they were starving. I mean, they were expending more calories than they were eating, so they were constantly hungry. And but can you imagine, even kind of on death's door on the north side of the Beardmore Glacier? Um, they stopped and they collected like about 35 pounds of fossils and rock samples yes. and, and they dragged them for the next couple of weeks before they died and uh, uh, these are actually still being used by, by scientists to this day um, because they were able to uh, discover you know, the, the tectonic plates and that Antarctica was actually green and a fertile place at one stage so it's very very appropriate. They were the very hardest of men weren't they Aileen? Oh, they were amazing. I mean, they they set off and each expedition was three years. You know, there was no mobile phones. There was nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you were gone and that was it. I mean, when they went off um, with uh, the Shackle expedition that uh, and they they contacted uh, Churchill and said, you know, because the war broke out. And they, by the time then they came back, they thought it was all, you know, it was only going to be a couple of months, you know. And um, so they had no contact with the, with the the outside world. It really was exploring the, 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 the unexplored. One man, and I know there have been many books and articles and research works done on Tom and his colleagues, but for me personally, and I speak personally, my I've, I've told him to his face, so I'm going to tell him again, my favourite piece of Irish theatre ever, of all the Irish theatre I've seen, is Aidan Dooley's Tom Crean and Tarty Explorer, because it was, Tom, it was Aidan, I think, brought Tom's story to many, many, many thousands of people, not just here in Ireland, but around the world. And I, I had to get him in on this conversation. Hi, Aidan. Hello. Hello, PJ. Um, the, the little project that started out in the museum in London for all those years ago has gone twice around the world. So you personally know, Tom is part of it, a part of you now. How do you feel about this? Oh, I think I think I echo everything Aileen said, and I think she said it far more eloquently than I probably would be able to. Um, uh, it, it's it's just wonderful. It's wonderful that there's an actual uh, inanimate object as brilliant as this research ship is that will survive. It will survive at least for twenty or thirty years, and will beg the question: well, Who's Tom Crean? When people look at the side of the ship, and so if they don't know who he was, they will go and find out, which is what. In a sense, the whole exercise and the whole journey for the past 20 years for me, and initially by Michael Smith, whose book Unsung Hero started right. the whole process. That's right. And, um, and also, of late, to be fair, the, 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 the social media campaign, you know, 
let's honour Tom Crean, started by Tim Foley. So there's there's many players in the in the in the in creating the awareness of Tom's existence in our history, historical yeah. past, and um, and this ship is in a sense a manifestation of that awareness. So it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I, I said this to you before, and I guess Aileen, Tom, and and his colleagues, and and people like Shackleton, in this country, we punched so far above our weight for a small little dot on the end on the edge of Europe to have produced heroes of that calibre. Absolutely, yeah, it's amazing. You know, in all fields, we do it in sport and 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 everything. For mm. a small country, we definitely do. All right, listen, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, congratulations uh, and, and, and thank you for co- for joining us. Granddaughter of, of Tom Crean and the great Aidan Dooley. Aidan, I miss, I miss it so much. I need to see this play again. It's only been 14 times. <laughs> you're, you're an amazing man. seen so many times. Please God, 2021, 22, 23, I'll be back on the road with this, uh, sharing his story with the, with the people of Ireland. It's, it's a joy always. All right. And thanks again. Cheers. Here's hoping. Aidan Dooley, the man behind Tom Crean, Antarctic Explorer, and Aileen Crean O'Brien, the granddaughter of the great Tom Crean. And the new vessel will be known as the RV Tom Crean. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. Jenny, what is it that you have that you won't throw out? It's um, a Christmas ornament. Uh, it's a church that plays music that my great great grandmother had. Wow, wow! And and she was born when? Eighteen ninety. So and you don't know when she got it, but she she got it as a child, I suppose. Did she? Yeah. Wow. From her grandparents. What? It was passed down to her. No, it was as a present. Oh, it's a from present from her grandparents. Yeah. Wow, wow! And it still works. It still works. It still plays silent night. Ah, that's lovely. That's lovely. Listen, thanks very much, Jenny. I, this, I, I love that stuff. You know, people who just will not throw stuff out. And why would you throw that beautiful thing out? 1850-715-996. Thanks, Jenny. There was a buddy of mine, an old pal of mine, Jim, Jim Kennelly, lived up in, uh, lives, I think, still up in Witterlings Lane, unless he's moved and not told me. But his mom, our rester, she had an old crib that she used to put into the window. And it had, and I haven't been up with Jim now for a while, but it 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 had the same set of Christmas lights in it since the very day she first put it up. Now, Jim was the kind of fella, he could repair anything. So he kept the lights going, but it was the same set of Christmas lights and the same set of little frames on the lights, which was lovely. Uh, but there's loads of stuff there. The um, Teresa is 63 and has a doll she got when she was four years old. Doll came from Santa. It's called a Crawley doll. Wouldn't part with her for the world. The doll's name is Mary. And Teresa says she also has still got her daughter's pram in the loft. What is this about keeping prams? All right, listen. I want to go back to, to North Cork to catch up once again with our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran because I, I don't know if there have been developments throughout the morning but you've been finding out a little bit more anyway Fiona good morning to you you're back with me again 
Good morning. Fiona. Yes, Fiona. Hi, hi, you can hear me there, okay? Yeah, developments over the last couple of hours out there. Yes, PJ, Assistant State Pathologist Dr. Margaret Bolster carried out a preliminary examination here at the scene and um, the body of that woman has been removed from the scene. <clears throat> it was removed at 20 past 11 this morning and it's been taken to Cork University Hospital where Dr. Bolster will carry out a full post-mortem examination later today. The Garda Forensics are at the scene and they've been carrying out a, see- uh, a full examination of the scene. And PJ, I've been speaking to some locals about the shock that's being felt by people around here. And I spoke to a lady called Mary O'Shea. She lives right beside the entrance here to Drum Deer Woods. And I think you have that um, interview there, PJ. Indeed I do, Fiona. Thank you very much. Just a couple of hundred yards, I suppose, yeah, from it. And it's not far inside the gate. Uh, and there's um, antennas, two tall antennas there, like where the incident may have happened, like, you know, so... First of all, I couldn't believe it. I thought I was in shock, to be honest, because I had walked the area a couple of hours beforehand. And, you know, it's mainly all our neighbours that would be in there. And it's such a quiet and lovely walk. And I, I, I didn't know what had happened first. And I thought maybe somebody might be on the loose. And I sort of thought, I locked the back door now and that's it, you know. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, it, it's shocking and uh, it's such a quiet area. The neighbours are lovely and we're here 40 years and we've never had any incident of any kind happen around, you know. And when it's closed... Sorry. Yeah, it must have been a very even unsettling night for you last night. Oh, you know I didn't sleep well at all. Tossing, both of us, tossing and turning and um, we know the guards were up there like as well. But it's just a thought of somebody being there overnight as well. I know that can't be helped. I mean, the forensics have to come there, but you feel so sorry for them and her and her family. They're definitely and all the connections. It's really, really sad. Really sad now. And you know. Like here now today, you have all the guard outside. Yeah, yeah. I'm sort of afraid to go out. Um, you know, but at the same time, we're okay and you know if it was local people we'd be rallying around to them you know but thanks be to god it isn't anybody we think that we don't know like you know so that's that's something but it's still somebody you know what i mean like so and it's such a sad situation in these times you know we don't know what's happening now, you know, with the COVID and the stress and the strain. It's so prevalent at the minute, like, you know. So I I know I just said prayer for them and that's it and light a candle, sure. We can't do nothing and I I don't know whether I'll walk the forestry now for a while again. You know, I to get I when I'd pass that area I'd probably feel anxious, you know, but hopefully. I will, yeah. you know. It's a lovely walk, and it it uh, it wouldn't have really only for the few neighbours, you know. And um, I just walk in around there myself, and I just feel it's a peaceful area, like. And you'd have the men working in there anyway, from time to time, you know, cutting the timber and. Um, they actually did up the road uh, the, just last week because there's more timber being cut and you'd always feel then there's somebody in there, you know, like a presence, you know. But when this has happened now, it's sort of, 
you don't know. It's, it's sort of just, you don't know what's going through people's minds. You don't, do you? You sure don't. Thank you for sending us that, Fiona. Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter. That is Mary O'Shea, local in the area around where that investigation is ongoing. As Fiona told us, the body is being removed now from the scene or has been removed uh, to Cork University Hospital where uh, Margaret Bolster, the assistant state pathologist, will carry out a post-mortem, having first examined it at the scene. And no doubt we'll find out more about that story over the course of the weekend. On a lighter note, I'm still using a crib, says this call, made out of a cardboard box 70 years ago. It has a plastic hole so you can shine coloured lights in it. And the straw is red, because that was a thing at the time. And uh, Teresa's 63, no, no, not that, sorry. Uh, Nick has his mother's christening robe. She's 83. Uh, My own two kids were christened in it. That's nice. That's nice. And a nice light way to finish up. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.